Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, May 15th, we are studying Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. What a climax we had yesterday at the end of Romans chapter 8. Nothing, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, St. Paul proclaims. But if that's the case then how is it that some people are not saved particularly? Why are many Jews, those of the same flesh and blood of Abraham, why have they rejected what God has done in Christ? Was something wrong with the word of God? With today's text, St. Paul turns a corner in this glorious epistle and begins to address questions like these. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Hey, good to be back. Pastor Kilgo, yesterday, Pastor Preuss told us that Romans 8, verses 31 through 39 was the most beautiful text in the Bible. And then you get Romans 9, <laughs> verses 1 through 13. So, I mean, how do, how do we yeah. get from that most beautiful text in the Bible to where Paul is going today in, in the beginning of Romans 9 and really into this larger section all the way through chapter 11. Well, I would first off say I completely agree with Pastor Preuss. I mean, it, it, when I preach, there is probably not a text that comes up in my preaching uh, more often than that one, just kind of working its way into the text because it is so wonderful and so comforting. But I will say that, that I think if we rightly understand uh, what Paul is then doing as he proceeds into chapter nine, nine and nine through eleven is kind of this unit. Um, but as he, like you said, kind of turns this corner, that if we rightly understand this, this is um, this is quite beautiful and wonderful for us as well, uh, because he's reminding us of the of the nature of the church, of the nature of God's word, of the nature of um, the enduring promises of God, and that we. Um, especially those of us who are not of Jewish birth, um, we stand under those, and and the Lord has mercy even on us. Mm-hmm. So, Pastor Kilgo, as as we get started into Romans nine, then I mean, how does how does this section relate to what Paul has said previously, particularly to keep us? And it's sometimes we've lost this, but that thesis statement back in chapter one that the gospel is the power of salvation that in it the righteousness of god is revealed how do we how do we see that theme going forward here in this section the righteousness of god both for jew and gentile yeah so i think this is where it is particularly important to keep our eyes back on those words because it's going to help us make sense with what paul's doing here um that he's continuing to make this argument that uh, that god is a righteous god um Therefore, um, 
God doesn't lie to us, and he didn't lie to the Israelites either. It's not like he changed his mind in the middle of everything, and now he's got a different opinion on things. But he's he's always been doing the same thing. Um, it's just been slowly getting brighter and brighter as, as we move through the Old Testament and into the Incarnation. Um, but but the, the really important point on this is that um, if God uh, could be shown that he is unfaithful to Israel, and this is one of the themes you get in Romans as well, and in a lot of St. Paul is that the faithfulness of God, right? Um, that if, if God can be shown to be unfaithful, that automatically brings into question whether or not he's righteous, right? And, and that's a major issue, right? Because if God is not righteous, um, then we probably ought to find somebody else. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that would call into question everything that Paul has laid out already. If God is not righteous, how can he then bestow his righteousness upon sinners freely in Christ Jesus? And so this this matter of Jew and Gentile that he's going to take up here in chapters 9 through 11 is important for, for those of Jewish descent, that they would see that God has not been unfaithful to them. And it's also important for the, the Gentile as well, that they would know that they can trust this God of, of Israel, the one who revealed himself to Israel in the Old Testament for the sake of saving all. If, if he is shown to be unfaithful or shown to be unrighteous, then it matters for both parties and ultimately matters for the church as a whole, which is that's to whom Paul is writing here. Right, right. And, and this is um, this is an important note um, that, you know, it, there's this this common proclamation that it's said in different ways, but this common proclamation by God uh, in the Old Testament uh, that and in the New as well, that God uh, does not take pleasure in the death of the sinner. Right. Um, he doesn't say um, that I have no pleasure in the death of um, of the Israelites, but I don't care about the death of everybody else. He says I I don't take pleasure in the death of the sinner, right? And that that is across the board, regardless of their um, uh, their ethnic background. Um, and and this is actually where you see like when you start digging into the uh, various Old Testament uh, covenants and whatnot, you, you see how God makes provisions for the strangers and for the Gentiles and how e even within the lineage of Christ, right, that you have these Gentiles popping in into the lineage of Christ. Um, like one of the great examples is Ruth, right, that she's she's a Moabite, right? She has no business being in the part of the household of God technically, uh, but she's brought in by faith. And, and that's going to be the theme, right? That, that God's promises are for all who have faith. Mm -hmm. And and they are his promises. This is, Paul's going to introduce that as a, an important theme here, that that this is his working in history. And, right. and as his working in history, he didn't fail. People responded with unbelief. And, and sadly, tragically, many of those who responded with unbelief we're the very people to whom the promises came originally, but that doesn't mean that God failed. His word still was effective. His word still held true. He remains faithful. He remains righteous for Jew and Gentile alike. And those are, I mean, all of it, while it, while this section and this text may seem like a, 
a sidetrack, it, it really is related to that full theme of the epistle to the Romans that the righteousness of God is for you through Jesus Christ. Right. Well, and he's and he's laid this out already right at the beginning in in that um, kind of thesis verse at the beginning of Romans um, uh, that the uh, uh, the gospel the the righteousness of God um, uh, is the power of salvation uh, for, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. And and we remember, you know, Greek is this this shorthand for everybody who's not Jewish by birth, right? Um, so, so the, that the gospel is for everybody, right? And, and that that gospel doesn't show up, uh, when Jesus is born, that gospel shows up, um, in the very beginning of creation, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, as, as God, as God has always proclaimed his mercies to us. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead and, and jump into the text. We are in Romans chapter nine, <clears throat> beginning at verse one. Paul writes, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That's the text for today, Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. So I think you've, you've got two pretty clear sections here, Pastor Kilgo. Verses 1 through 5 form a unit, and verses 6 through 13 form a unit. And in, in verses 1 through 5, you really get a picture into into Paul's own heart. You you said earlier that that God does not desire the death of the sinner, either Jew or Gentile, and and here I think you see a picture of that that same heart of God being put into the heart of Paul. That that Paul does not desire the death of the sinner. It it um, it brings him great anguish to see anyone fall away from Christ. But particularly here, he's speaking of those who are his his brothers, according to the flesh, his fellow fellow Jews, those with whom he shares a, a family background. Take us into to the, to Paul's sorrow he speaks of in the first couple of verses here. Yeah, so, I mean, first, maybe we ought to, and the, and the listeners might already kind of be thinking of this, but you have a very similar thing show up in Exodus 32 with Moses. When Moses is pleading with God, um, 
uh, on the on behalf of Israel. And this is in context, and this is really important. This is in the context of uh, Israel has um, uh, fashioned the golden calf, right? And, and the Lord has had great anger about this. And so um, Moses rebukes the people, but then he turns to God and he says uh, this, uh, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. And, and so he's doing the same sort of thing. It's like, um, you know, if, if you won't, if you're going to hold their sin against them, you know, maybe just hold it all against me and let them live. Right. Um, and so he's pleading for them. Uh, and. And the Lord does relent, right? God be praised for that, as, as He does with us. Um, but the the one of the really intriguing things here is that Paul is showing us an example in himself of what he exhorts us to do elsewhere, and that is to have the mind of Christ, right? So that we look at our neighbor and um, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ and our brothers and sisters who have uh, departed from Christ. Uh, and we look at them as Christ would, uh, namely as those for whom he's died and loves um, and wants to be, uh, wants to have in his household, right? And and so Paul is sitting there looking at them with that mind, with, with those eyes of faith, and he's considering his neighbor like that. And, and that that love is so strong that he's willing to give up not not only his own life but actually his eternal salvation right that that's what he says the word here uh um uh it, it's translated in the esv um uh i wish that i myself were accursed and cut off from christ that that phrase accursed and cut off is is one word um uh, and that is the word anathema um and and we know this really well from uh, Galatians, right? When when Paul says, if if anyone brings to you another gospel, let him be anathema, let him be accursed, let him be condemned uh, to eternal torment, right? Um, that's what what he's saying here of himself. Now, it is somewhat of a rhetorical thing, right? Um, it's kind of a if it's possible, um, let this happen, but it's not possible, so it it won't happen. It it reminds me actually of. Um, Christ's prayer in the garden, where he prays, uh, if it be possible, let this cup pass from you. It's that sort of request. Like Christ knows um, that it's not possible for the cup to pass from him because it is, as he said previously, it is necessary that the Christ suffer and die and be raised. Um, it, in, in this case, it's not necessary, but, but the, the, the style of the asking the petitioning by Paul is is the same sort of thing that it that Paul is is asking out of anguish. Um, he's he's praying to God, um, knowing that that the answer is all already no, right? And here's the thing, right? If if uh, if Christ's death, if if Christ taking upon himself uh, God's wrath is not enough. Um, then Paul's taking upon himself God's wrath uh, for the sake of his brethren is certainly not going to be enough, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we we can't add to the work of Christ, but but it's 
it's exhibiting his great love and, and anguish. Um, and it's something that we would do well to to emulate. Right? I, I wouldn't encourage anybody to to pray for their destruction. Right. But I would encourage people to look at look at their neighbor with such great love that they that they would be in theory, at least willing to uh, to give up everything for them mm-hmm. if it meant they inherit eternal salvation. Right. So, yeah, a couple a couple thoughts. Those are very excellent comments. One, just to what we see here, the spirit in which Paul has written everything so far, particularly those sections that, just to use a shorthand, those you might call harsh law. And Paul had some pretty harsh law, particularly for his own brothers, the Jews. Back in chapter two, after he got done declaring that all Gentiles were unrighteous for this for this reason, then he he really launches into to his own people and says, look, you guys had the law, you knew what God said, and you still didn't do it too. So, I mean, some some very harsh words of law. And then, you know, the beginning of chapter three, the first 20 verses where he, he lays out just in that that long string of psalm passages, no one is righteous, not even one. You're, I mean, everyone's entirely evil. All, all that stuff that was just terribly harsh law. What was the spirit in which Paul Paul said it? It wasn't a spirit of hatred for his for his fellow man, particularly for for his fellow Jews, but it was a spirit of love, a spirit that desired them to hear this word, and then believe in in the gospel. So I mean, that's and I think that's that's an important reminder for us today, as you, as you said, as we look upon our neighbors, particularly those that we see apart from Christ, that we do so not in hatred toward them not placing ourselves above them, but in a spirit of love toward them, desiring their salvation, just as God desires their salvation. And, and also then recognizing that, that as a Christian, that I, I would be willing to give up whatever is mine for the sake of this person. Recognizing that, that it's not going to be me, as you said, it's, it's not going to be me suffering the wrath of God in their place and, and giving up my own salvation for theirs. I mean, God doesn't answer the prayer in that sense. But at the same time, we do know that he, he answers prayers for, for the repentance and salvation of others. This is one of the things he commands us to pray for, that his kingdom would come, not just to us, but to others. And, and so, I mean, there's, there's just, there's so much here. One, one other thought, and, and you brought this out in your notes, and it had occurred to me too, that Paul's rhetorical move here, perhaps, that, that he wishes he could be a cursed cut off, is perhaps very similar to what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, where he says that, that he would, how does he, by any means possible, to, to save some, that, that this is how he's, he's ready to do what it takes to preach the good news to anyone, Jew and Gentile alike. Yeah, um, and, and I think that that's a, um, a much more appropriate way to, um, to work with that passage. That's one of these very dangerous passages, right? Because it, if, if we read it wrongly, it could sound like we can throw everything out the window um, as long as we're trying to get people to to Christ, right? Um, and that's a, the passage that's been used to to jettison all sorts of things, um, good and salutary things in the church that actually are working in concert to bring people to faith and sustain them in the faith. Um, and when we read it wrongly, there's this temptation to, to jettison it. And I think that this is a, a little bit more helpful way of, of looking at it that um, that we are willing to um, to stand underneath a cross for the sake of our neighbor if it means that our neighbor is brought to salvation, mm-hmm. right? Um, that that's the idea that that um, it is a 
uh, this whole thing uh, to the Jew I became as a Jew, etc. Um, that is a willingness uh, to suffer for the sake of our neighbor, so that they would hear the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that takes on different forms, and that's Paul's point there. Um, there there's another interesting uh, uh, connection here. You, you mentioned this, um, and I don't think we can overstate this. Uh, that w- when Paul is preaching the law in its uh, in its full sternness at the beginning of the epistle. That and, and this is probably another one of those those passages that the listener knows well because pastors quote it all the time and for good reason. No one is righteous, etc. That that is not spoken out of hatred, but out of love, and it is what Paul uh, exhorts us to do. For example, in Ephesians, where where he says. Um, uh, in, in order that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves of doctrine and human cunning, etc. Uh, rather, speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up into him in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love, right? That, that we speak and, and this is the point that, that he's kind of pulling on at the beginning, the, 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 uh, the truth in Christ or speaking, you can translate it also, I'm, I'm speaking in Christ, the truth. Um, and we should remember the bracketing of this with the amen at the end is this statement of what I just said is true, that he's speaking the truth in love. And that's what we're given to do. Um, and some people, the truth that they need to hear is uh, well everybody the truth that they need to hear is that they have by nature of their inherited sin and the sins that they have committed since uh are deserving of eternal wrath and torment from god uh, that, that we that we are not righteous in and of ourselves uh that that we have no good in ourselves apart from god um, and we need that uh, and some people just they, they don't know. I, I, there was a guy who came into my study um, a while back. Uh, one of the members of the congregation brought him in. We're, we're talking, and and I, I just mentioned kind of offhand that, uh, you know, that w- I, I'm just as wicked of a sinner a, as you are. Um, and I don't even remember what the, what the topic was because his response was so um, – Kind of startling to me, and he he just said, "Well, I'm not a sinner, right?" And and so you see there that that the the truth that he needs to hear in love is, "No, you are, um, and you need, on account of that, God's mercy. You need Christ." Um, and, and so, like I said, we can't overstate this and overemphasize this that that speaking the truth in love. Uh, it does not mean only telling people nice things. It means telling them the truth about whatever they need to hear at the moment. And if that's the law, it's the law. If it's the gospel, it's the gospel. And and we should not be ashamed to simply speak to people, um, again, in love, because we love them and we want to see them in the resurrection, um, to speak to them what God speaks to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the key. Speaking speaking the truth in love means still speaking the truth. <laughs> and that's that's the full truth that that Christ has has given. Paul Paul continues to speak that truth. 
here in the letter to the Romans. But Pastor Kilgo, I think we're going to go ahead and take our break just a hair early this morning and pick up what he says about the Israelites and everything that they have on the other side of that break. You are listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. Please stick around. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. Hi, this is Todd Wilkin, inviting you to join us for Issues Etc. weekday afternoons from 3 to 5. Issues Etc. is a live call-in show with a two-fold purpose. We defend and teach the truths rediscovered during the Reformation, grace, faith, scripture, and Christ alone, and we challenge today's postmodern culture with its unbiblical ideology. Issues Etc. live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Friday, May 15th, we are studying Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 13 with Pastor Sean Kilgo of the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership. Pastor Kilgo, prior to the break, we, we looked at Paul's anguish and his sorrow over the fact that his own kinsmen, those to whom he is related by flesh and blood, have by and large rejected this great gift that God's, God has given them. And as you were saying, this gift that God's, God has given them in Christ was not something new. It was there for them all along throughout their history. The, the promise that Christ was coming was shouldn't have surprised them. And, and Paul really, as, as he continues then in verses 4 and 5, he starts to to remind them, look, this is what you had. This is where it was all along. Take us into to what he says about these Israelites in verses four and five. Yeah, so th this is great. Um, and, and the more I think about this, just the, the more comes to mind with it. Um, it's one of these areas where you get these, these little lists from, especially Paul does this. He gives you these little lists and it's really easy to just kind of read over them uh, but I, I think it's maybe a good practice that anytime you see Paul giving you a list of things, um, stop and read through the list about 20 times, right? And, and kind of see what he's doing there because it's usually a pretty profound thing and this is no different. Um, he says uh, that, that to the Israelites um, belong certain things and he lists off, um, depending on how you count it, either six or seven things. He says that it uh, belongs to them uh, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, uh, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises, 
Um, and then uh, he also says, to them belong the patriarchs. Now, now you could uh, connect there, and I, and I think that this is helpful to do, that to them belong the patriarchs is connected then to the last in that list promises. It's kind of a subset um, because it's by the patriarchs in particular that the promises are given, right? Um, so I, I think that that's a, a helpful connection. Um, but then when you start digging at all of these, there is some some really wonderful stuff going on there. And I and right at the beginning, you, you can imagine um, as Paul is writing this and anybody who's a, a Jew is reading this in the very first one has, has got to just kind of just strike them as crazy, right? That they, they've received the adoption um, be, because this is kind of the attitude. And you see this like with the Pharisees and Jesus that, that they say that, you know, we are um, offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anybody. Um, and, and Jesus responds, you know, that, that we well know that, that God is able to raise even from these stones, children of Abraham. Uh, which we'll we'll kind of get into that idea maybe a little bit later, but um, the the Israelites, especially by the time of Jesus, uh, have forgotten, and we could probably see this in the Old Testament as well, where they've actually come from. And the Lord actually uses well, He doesn't use the term adoption; He does use language um, akin to adoption in the Old Testament, maybe one of the great places is in Ezekiel 16. This is more and more one of my favorite passages um, because the Lord lays out so beautifully at the beginning how he um, finds Israel and brings Israel into his household. And, and here he's talking about Israel, and we'll talk about this more, I'm, I'm sure, in a moment, but he's talking about Israel as um, that the people belonging to him, the people who he's called as his own people. Um, but he, he talks about Israel as being this, this child that's just been born and cast on the side of the road, still covered in blood, still with its uh, birth cord there, just completely disregarded. And God comes and takes up the child in his arms and brings the child in his household, um, cleans her, um, uh, clothes her, um, nurtures her through her life, adorns her with with precious stones and everything. And and you can see in this a reflection. This is the point that God is making. This is the church, right? Um, but the church has been adopted by God. Um, the the church didn't automatically belong uh, to the household of faith. Uh, God, through His Son, um, in eternity, adopts the the church, right? Um, and that is the, the household of faith. Um, and then as you go through the list, I mean, the, the rest are, are not quite so striking um, uh, un, until you, again, you dig at them a little bit. And, and some of them have other connections. I'm, I'm sure if I dug at it enough, they would all have connections throughout, throughout Romans in particular. But like glory, you've got a reflection there of what, what uh, Paul was talking about in Romans 1, where they exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God, for um, for the idolatry of, of creation. Um, you've got uh, uh, in the giving of the law, you have the note that Paul's made very 
recently that the law is holy and righteous and good. Um, you have the promises um, that he's going to bring this up later, particularly the promise of the seed uh, from from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Um, and what, what was intriguing to me, and this I will admit is not thoroughly kind of fleshed out quite yet, uh, but I think it bears kind of digging at. And that is that you, you can overlap these on top of each other and make two pairs of three. So the first set of three, uh, adoption, glory, and covenants, and then lay over the top of that, giving the law, worship, and promises, and that you get these couplets then that's going on. Um, and even in the Greek, it kind of works that way with the, with the way that he um, formulates this. Uh, there's this echo between the two that's, that's really cool. Um, but it would go something like this, that, that you have um, the, the adoption uh, of Israel um, demonstrated in the fact that they are given God's law, his word written on a tablet of stone with his very finger uh, at Mount Sinai. This is the, the sign that they are God's people, that they belong to him. Um, and because they've been adopted, then they are given uh, to... Uh, worship the glory of God in accordance with the Lord's instructions. And in that worship, they're to look forward to then the fulfillment of the covenant promises uh, that, that come about in the person of Christ, right? It, and this is really intriguing to me how this kind of, how, how it all kind of interlocks together. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it right now because, uh, and, and at first I, I almost wanted to, this matter of, of what you're talking about, one list corresponding to the other, and and I, I almost wanted to make it a, a chiasm at first where the adoption would go with the promises, the glory mm -hmm. would go with the worship, the oh, where am I? The covenants would go with the law. But I, I, I think you're right looking at it in the, at the Greek that there's, it's more of a parallelism there where one goes with one, two goes with two, three goes with three. Because the list twice ends with a with the plural, which I I don't know, it didn't stand out to me when I was looking at English, but it does in the Greek. I, I think I think you're right that that he's he's doing that, and yeah, there's there's quite a bit that could be I think could be said, and we could we could spend a lot of time, but I do want to I want to make sure we get get to all of it. So so all of these are their advantages, and some of them stand out more than others. That that matter of adoption at the the head of the list, I think you're right, is is something that could stand out that. You know what? What do you mean we were we were adopted? Isn't this our our right by birth as as Israelites? So yeah, I think there's a bit of a surprise there. I I do think the the biggest surprise or the biggest point in this list comes at the end, where he brings out Christ that that according to the flesh Christ is theirs, but then he adds that Christ is God over all. And that is ultimately the point that Israel has missed. Right. Um, the, the, the God of the Old Testament is none other than Christ himself, right, uh, as the second person of the Holy Trinity. Um, and, this, and this is what they just completely uh, miss, right? And this is why um, when, uh, when the apostles go and they start preaching um, – Christ in Acts, and you look at the, some of the, the examples of the sermons there in Acts, you, you see how upset people get. And, and the reason why they're upset is because they're saying Jesus is God. Um, and uh, it's the same reason why the, why the um, high priest 
uh, tears his clothes at the trial of Je the mock trial of Jesus, right? Um, is that he he claims divinity for himself, right? Um, and and this is what they just cannot get past um, that it is in fact Christ, and and this is the great thing um, that that all of these things he said that um, uh, to them belong the adoption, etc. That these things have been given to the Israelites, and the one that gave them to you is Jesus, right? Um, and that that's kind of the the like you said that it's shock at the end. It's like, what do you mean Jesus gave this to us? He he's only been around for the last few decades, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and and now he's dead. <laughs> so um, uh, Paul's point is no, actually, um, he's God from eternity. Uh, and he's the source of these things to you. And he's actually the, the reason when you start looking at all these, right, um, to be adopted necessitates um, uh, that, that you have Christ, right? Uh, because it's through Christ that we, through, through the beloved son, that we are adopted as sons, right? Um, and, and all through these, uh, there is Christ standing um, as the core of every single one of these, right? And especially, I, I, I find this really intriguing. When, when you go into the Old Testament, the, the glory of God is directly tied up to God's name. So, for example, he says in, uh, I believe it's Isaiah, um, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, right? Um, and, uh, and so then you get uh, Jesus coming along, and, and he has uh, the name above every other name, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. that, that this is, um, that, that the name Jesus and the glory of God are one and the same. Uh, so it, it just over and over, there's Jesus standing in the background at, as, the, um, as the Israelites go to worship and as we go to worship, uh, that we are worshiping the crucified and risen Lord, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, that he's yeah. the, the center point and he's the one that, that that's coming to serve us right and that's why the the high point of the church's worship is uh um being fed by our lord at his table with his body and blood right mm. um so so he's he's both the the, the object of the, of the worship but he's but he's also the one uh, that's there um still doing what he said in the gospels um coming to not to be served but to serve right right Right, yeah, and and this is what he what he had given Christ Himself. That's that's a great point. That all of these gifts that the Israelites had came from Christ, the God over all. This is what He had given to them, but they didn't believe it. And now, now Paul in verse six then begins to to launch into his his argument proper, where where he begins to. All right, this is the this is the point I want to make to you. And the point is, the Word of God hasn't failed. And, and the reason is because not all who descended from Israel belonged to Israel. Not all Israel is Israel. And, and here, this is where, where we, we want to be very careful with the language that Paul uses, Pastor Kilgo. How does he use Israel in different ways so that we can understand what he means when he says not all descended from Israel actually are Israel? Help us to sort this out. Yeah, so so there's kind of three ways, and maybe we we have when Israel comes into our ears, there's maybe three ways that we think of it. Uh, um, 
are three possible ways to think about it. Um, one is going to be the nation state of Israel that that's existed since um, like the the nineteen four. I, I always forget the days at forty seven or something like I that. I think it's forty seven or forty eight, right? Not long um, after World War Two. Right, right, and and we kind of forget that the nation state of Israel has not been around very long at all. Um, so that's one option. That is not at all what he's talking about, right? Because it 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 didn't exist for almost two thousand years of, uh, after um, Paul writes this down. Um, right. The other so options... if I could just if I could interject just briefly, so yeah. that that option for Israel is really an option that only exists for us since 1947, 1948, so that we could say that that when we hear the word Israel today, we in the scriptures, we should never think of of the nation state that exists currently along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Is that can we say right. that? Okay, yes, good. That, that is exactly so, right. So we may hear that when we hear, you know, when we hear the word Engl in English, Israel, we may think that in modern terms, but when we're reading in the Bible, we should just toss that definition aside completely. Okay, now continue, Pastor right. Gogo. Now, the two other options that, that would be biblical options are either um, those who are uh, by genealogy related to Abraham, uh, in particular related to um, then uh, Jacob. Uh, whose name is changed to Israel, and and that name then comes to be the the encompassing term for for all the people uh, descended from him. But the other option is all those of faith, right? That the household of faith in the, in the, in the Old Testament. That these are the what we might call the true Israelites. Um, and this is then connected with uh, kind of the, the the understanding of the church. And and I think this is a, a kind of helpful that. Uh, when, when we talk about the church, and our confessions make this point as well, that the church is a mixed body. So you have gathered in the assembly, you have both believers and unbelievers, and you externally can't tell who's who, right? Um, uh, there, there, and there, that's a kind of bigger discussion, but, but it's kind of the same sort of point that, that Paul is making here, that there is a um, kind of this external thing that you can look at and see that's the genealogy, but there is a spiritual reality that makes one an Israelite um, that you can't see, um, that is there by faith, right? And and that's actually the the important one. It doesn't matter whether you are uh, genealogically related to Abraham. What matters is that you have the same faith as Abraham. That that's what makes you a true Israelite, right? Um, and this is then connected with what he what Paul is saying earlier when he talks about his his brothers, right? In this lamenting, it's it's those who are um, as Paul talks about his own lineage, right? Um, that they are boasting in their lineage, in their genealogy, um, and not in their faith, right? And and that's the problem, right? So mm -hmm. so when he says not all who are descended from Israel, that is not all who are biologically related to the guy, Jacob, that's renamed Israel, belong to Israel, that is belong to the church. So we, so to make maybe make it a little more clear, not all who are descended from Jacob belong to the church, right? Mm -hmm. we, we could read it like that, and that really does kind of help to delineate what he's saying there. 
Yeah, that that I think that's a helpful re. Uh, it's not a translation, a paraphrase of of the text that that those who are descended, not all who are descended from Jacob, belong to the church, and he continues then, not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. So, and and there, I think it's it's reverse. The children of Abraham, that's not all are the church because they are his offspring. They are his physical children. And, and the reason is now, and now Paul's going to take us into the old Testament here. He's going to say, because through Isaac shall your offspring be named that it was never about the physical descent from Abraham, but it was rather about faith in the promise. And he really, I think brings that all together in verse eight. It's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. It's the children of the promise that are counted as his offspring. Help us into some of this Old Testament background, Pastor Kogo. Yeah, so so maybe just uh, before we get there, one, one more note on, on Abraham that um, kind of to, to just make sure that we're, we're clear on this, that he's he's giving both sides of the coin there, right? So so he's he's giving exhortation to those who are um, biologically related to Jacob, and he and he's saying, don't think that just because um, you can trace your lineage back to Jacob, that therefore you're good to go. So so it'd be like you know today saying, just because your parents are Christians or just because your grandparents are Christians, um, doesn't mean that uh, that you automatically are therefore also a Christian, right? Um, it is the transmission of the promise and the believing of the promise um, that matters. And that still matters for us today. Now, now the kind of the nature of the promise has changed a little bit. So, so the, the promise uh, was of the coming Messiah and believing in the Messiah that was to come. Our promise is believing in the Messiah who did come, right? But it is ultimately the, the substance of that, that believing is the same. Right. But on the opposite side, like so there could be the the temptation to despair then and and think that, well, then I do need to be related somehow to uh, to Abraham or to, to Jacob. And he says, um, basically, and don't worry if you're not biologically related to one of these guys, um, uh, because you are accounted as Abraham's offspring uh, by faith. Right. Which is the point that he's made. Uh, previously in the epistle as well. So we could paraphrase this today, you know, just because uh, nobody in your family is a Christian doesn't mean that you have no hope. Um, and I'll say, you know, personally for me, um, uh, my my parents are, are not Christian. Uh, my grandparents, to the best of my knowledge, were not Christian. Um, it's by the, the mercy of God that I met my wife and she told me she wouldn't date me unless I went to church. Um, so God be praised for that. And for any of the ladies that are listening out there, uh, that is really good evangelism. Um, uh, guys, are, guys are willing to do it if, if they want to date you. Um, and look where I am now. I mean, not only has God called me to, to faith, but he's called me into his holy office. So, um, uh, I, I'm, I am personally an example of this, right? I, I have no immediate genealogy that connects me to the church. Um, but that doesn't matter because the Lord calls through his word, right? And, and that's, that's what's going to happen now. That's going to be the, the main theme of these Old Testament passages is that um, God calls um, 
those who are unworthy to be called um, because he's merciful and because he's just, right? Um, it doesn't mean that the call can't be rejected or that the call can't be turned from, like, um, but it does mean that, that it is the Lord who calls uh, by his promise. And he does this first. The first example we get um, is, uh, is with Sarah, right? Um, I'm losing my spot in the text. There we go. Um, uh, so he says, um, this is what the promise said about this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, it had done uh, nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger, right? So, so you, you get the language of calling um, in there, but it's this transmission of the promise from generation to generation that matters. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Right. Pastor Kilgo, we, I'm, I'm, this is good stuff. And, and we could, as usual, spend a couple <laughs> hours talking about this text. I want to I want to fast forward us because just because we're, we are running a bit short on time. Sure. This this matter of that. This is God's promise being this is where, where Paul is going to take this is that God is the one who did it. His word didn't fail. And you see that through Abraham and Sarah with the giving of Isaac through the promise. And you also see that, Paul says, in the birth of Esau and Jacob, that order in terms of age, Esau and Jacob, but the promise going through Jacob, apart from any works of either, it had nothing, God God gave the promise to go through Jacob, not because of anything good Jacob had did, or because of anything evil that Esau had did, but simply as a matter of his calling, his election. And, and Paul, Paul brings this out as an example as well. I want to make sure we, we hit on that, particularly there where, where you get this quote from Paul. He says, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated, as it's translated in the ESV, that may trouble us a little bit with, oh, about five minutes or so left. Help us, help us into that part of the text. Sure. I, I kind of wonder if, the, if this is why uh, in, in, Genesis that when you read the story of Jacob, um, that the vast majority of it, you're you're just kind of sitting there scratching your head, wondering if Jacob's actually a Christian or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and and this, but but then Paul comes along and says this, and it kind of opens this up that um, that God is showing that His promise is true and it will be delivered, um, regardless of the one through whom it goes. Right. So even though Jacob is is a pretty wicked guy in a, in a lot of cases um, and god be praised he is uh, brought to repentance uh, at the end of his life um that god still is faithful to his promise through jacob right it, it, it doesn't matter that that jacob was unfaithful um so uh so i think that's an important note here that, that there is a uh, what we call monergism a a single working um of of God in these things to bring it about in spite of us. Um, but then this uh, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Uh, one of the things is I, there's a switch because he's quoting from Malachi now. And so he's mm -hmm. kind of fast forwarded. And in, in Malachi, um, he's Malachi is not referring to the, uh, there's a couple of options, but one of the options is that he's not referring to the people, Jacob and Esau, but he's referring to the um 
to the offspring uh, that you have the Israelites and the Edomites um, that are that are the offspring and, and they're just the way the Old Testament will do this is they'll just uh, name the progenitor of the whole thing right so so there's that but also the the, the word hate is is maybe not the best translation on this we, we might do better as um, either disfavored or disregarded and we can connect this um, especially if we are talking about the individuals, we can connect this with the fact that Esau is so willing to give up what was his by birth, right? Um, and, and this is kind of thematic then of what all of Israel has done in rejecting, or th those who are who are not of faith, that what they've done by rejecting Christ. Right, they've rejected what is theirs by birth, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so it is um, kind of a a singular picture that Paul is giving of what all those who have rejected Christ um, have have therefore done, right? This belongs to you, as he said. You 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 are the inheritors of all these things of of the adoption of the glory of the worship um, of the covenants. And he just tossed it all away like it was nothing, right? Just like Esau did with his promise. But God is still faithful. Uh, God still calls. Um, the door is, the, the, the Lord still holds the door open and calls out to you to call you to repentance. His gospel still works. Um, his word does not return void, uh, but accomplishes that for which he purposes it. And its purpose is to call you to repentance and to bring you to faith and ultimately to bring you into the eternity of the resurrection with the, the church spread throughout all ages, right? And, and that's that's the great thing that's kind of sitting in the background of all of this. Pastor Sean Kelgo is the pastor at the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Pastor Kelgo, thanks for your time today. Hey, good to be here. The Word of God has not failed. God has made His promise. Isaac came through the promise. The promise went through Jacob according to God's promise. It was his action, and he has done it. He has fulfilled his promise to send the offspring in his son, Jesus Christ. That word has not failed. That word is for you. Christ died for all. He died for you. That's the, the heart that he has shown us, the heart that he has filled us with, that we too would share that good news with all, law and gospel together, so that more may hear and be Say because that word, that word has not failed. I am your host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.